everyone. I'm Rania Kalik, and this is Dispatches. As the death toll climbs from Israel's horrific bombing campaign in Gaza and the U.S. threat for a broader regional war, all eyes are on the Middle East, making it easy to forget about Ukraine. But the war in Ukraine grinds on without pause, with lasting impacts on Europe and the Western-dominated order. So what's new with the war in Ukraine? Is anyone winning? How will it impact the future of Europe and NATO? What are the similarities to the war on Gaza? How will escalation in the Middle East impact Ukraine? And how is the war on Gaza exposing all of the hypocrisy of the EU in particular? To discuss this and more, I'm joined by prolific writer and author Wolfgang Streak, Emeritus Director at the Max Planck Institute for the Study of Societies. But before we jump into it, this is just the first half of this episode. The second half is available for Breakthrough News members only. You can become a member at patreon.com slash Breakthrough News. Wolfgang, welcome back to the show. I'm happy to be here. So, you know, when we initially uh, scheduled this uh, interview, it was, I think, about a month ago, and a lot has changed since then. Of course, I invited you on to talk about Ukraine, which is the issue that you write mostly about for New Left Review, and we're definitely going to get into the meat of Ukraine. Um, And last time you were on the show, the war in Ukraine, I just want to note, was about, I think, two months. It had started two months prior. So now it's been about a a two-and-a-half-year-long war, so... There's no end in sight, so so quite a bit has changed. Um, but there is, of course, another war, as we're speaking, that's captivating the world's attention, and that, of course, is the war in Gaza. And I think there are uh, some similar themes that apply with regard to the EU's posture, kind of following the U.S. lead to actually prolong a war and avoid a ceasefire and cause this like, kind of potential regional escalation that would be quite catastrophic. And of course, I'm speaking to you from Lebanon, where, you know, everyone is both devastated by the carnage they're seeing on their television screens, but also people are quite scared of what might happen here should another front open up between the Israelis and Hezbollah. So all that's to say, you know, let's start a little bit with some tangentially related things with Gaza before we expand into just focusing on Ukraine. And one place I'd like to start, Wolfgang, is with EU Commissioner Ursula von der Leyen, who, as I'm sure you've seen, you know, and you've written about, has been leading the kind of like Atlanticist cause in Europe, aligning 150% with the US on Ukraine, you know, even as it harms Europe. And I see something very similar happening with her role during Israel's war on Gaza. She reminds us like every hour on her Twitter feed that she stands with Israel and it's like civilizing quest to, you know, against the forces of Arab darkness. She doesn't quite put it that way, but that's kind of what she seems to mean. Um, But, you know, she's in lockstep with the U.S. and unconditionally supporting the Israelis, no matter how many children are being bombed in Gaza. She has had no problem with the Israelis cutting off water and electricity and fuel to Gaza despite, of course, complaining about Russia doing some of those same same things in Ukraine. All that's to say, you have written about this woman. You've called her, you know, the former defense minister in Germany who was incompetent at the time. I'm curious, can you tell our audience, you know, who is Ursula von der Leyen and why is she like this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm not a psychologist and, and uh, <laughs> n- nor am I a contemporary historian. Uh, I, I like to interpret what people are doing as a result of the structure in which they operate and the and the institutional incentives that they face. Uh, now, uh, 
The European Union is a very shaky construct. It, it includes, uh, in this particular case, both Germany and France, um, which have very different views on, on, on what is to be done. Although the French are always sort of so French, Frenchly di diplomatic that, that it's very hard to understand what they're saying. Uh, but uh, for Frau von der Leyen, uh, she has this sort of un, uh, difficult job, her present job, to, to govern uh, a European Union that is internally heavily divided. So how do you do this? You do this by uh, bringing in power resources, resources from the outside, in, in, in order to uh, uh, force uh, things together. And uh, the only power resource that she can bring in is the United States and NATO. Uh, so so uh, by uh, leaning heavily on the United States uh, for uh, uh, political um, uh, Use, you, you can say capacity. Uh, she tries to survive this split between different European countries with respect to what is happening in the in 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 in, in the Middle East. Uh, now, Germany is a sort of natural-born uh, uh, ally in this, uh, be, because Germany uh, is very heavily uh, dependent for its uh, national security on the United States. Uh, the U.S. have about 30,000 troops in uh, Germany stationed, almost as many as in Okinawa. In interestingly, these are the two uh, largest uh, American bases in Japan and in Germany. And Germany has no nuclear arms. Uh, it is sometimes said that they have delivered certain pieces that you need for nuclear arms uh, uh, to to Israel of all places, uh, certainly the the sub Israeli submarines. Uh, you know, nobody knows what they can carry, but you can think about it. Uh, so so the the French have their own nuclear arms, and th that is why they are uh, very much concerned about about this, this this sort of thing. And they, and they do not depend so much on the United States as Germany. There's many other explanations, but this also sort of personal, personal explanation. Let me say one, one thing in order to understand the sort of the psychology of the German public in, 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 in this event. Now, now uh, aerial uh, bombardments, uh, right, are something that Germany knows a lot about because uh, during the Second World, at the end of the Second World War, a city like Cologne, where I live now, looked exactly like the city of Gaza does today. Uh, and and uh, in the uh, sort of post-war years, uh, the, the question whether this kind of uh, uh, de destructive uh, uh, all-over bombardment, uh, whether this is uh, compatible with international law or not, was sort of suppressed as a question in the acceptance uh, of uh, of the uh, uh, defeat, as as well as the idea that the defeat was uh, hopefully hopefully was one, uh, because otherwise we would have lived under uh, under the Führer, and and uh, and 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 so uh, there is this sort of very strange. Uh, 
willingness to accept this kind of thing, uh, if it is done uh, for the right uh, uh, purpose. And, and uh, while the Israeli purpose in Gaza is a just one, uh, the, the Russian purpose in, in Ukraine is a non, is an unjust one in the view of uh, our uh, politics. It's a long speech, but that, that's probably uh, sketches out what we're talking about. Yeah, I guess that 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 would uh, seem to be how the German leadership at least views it. And, you know, I wanted to ask your thoughts on what looks like an increasingly anti-democratic uh, string of measures across EU countries such as Germany uh, in response to protests. I mean, it's essentially just suppressing protests, banning them altogether, pro-Palestine protests that yeah. are against Israel's behavior in Gaza, which I think, you know, in some ways does build on the kind of sensorial measures taken against those who perhaps were either challenging the escalation against Russia and Ukraine, or even, you know, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it did seem as though Germany was outlawing any symbols of actual support for Russia's war in Ukraine. I mean, we don't have to agree yeah. with whether it's okay to support Russia's yeah, invasion yeah. of Ukraine, but the, you know, of course, like the whole idea of the West is that you have the you know, uh, the freedom of speech and all these kinds of things. And I know that matters more in the U.S. than in Europe. But then to see actual protest against German policy yeah. be outlawed in general. I mean, can we really call these countries democracies if they're outlawing protests? And I have seen videos out of Germany of like actually police beating protesters over this. Yeah. Police are always beating protesters. <laughs> they, they, they do so in the United Kingdom and in France as, as well. Uh, yeah, it's very disturbing. I, I, I can say it's very disturbing. And uh, it began with the Ukraine war, uh, when, when any form of dissent uh, uh, with, let me, let me put it precisely, with the sort of very far-fetched uh, uh, far uh, war goals and aims of the Ukrainian government. Any expression of any sort of dissent on uh, their uh, insistence that there can be negotiations only after the Russians have withdrawn their military from uh, uh, Ukraine. In other words, have admitted defeat. After defeat, you can negotiate, not, not, not before that, and including the Crimean uh, Peninsula. Yeah? And, and if, you, if you were of the view that this is not the right kind of diplomacy that, that you might want to employ in order to avoid a mass, mass killing on, on, on both sides, you were close to being a traitor. Not, not just in the, in the mainstream press, but, but also in, the political, in political parties, um, in uh, uh, the trade unions, some of them. And... Uh, uh, yeah, that, and now and now you see it's getting even uh, even more. Uh, and I mean, our foreign minister, this fabulous Miss um, uh, Baerbock, uh, actually actually uh, up to two days ago, publicly uh, insisted that there be no uh, humanitarian uh, uh, humanitarian uh, aid being sent uh, to Gaza until she was, a day later, 
told by the American, by the American foreign minister that this was not policy. And policy was to bring in, let's say, 10, uh, 10 trucks a day, just as a symbolic, uh, uh, as, as a symbolic means of appeasing uh, public public opinion. Then she suddenly she suddenly was for a, a humanitarian break. This is such. It is, uh, and and it, it makes you leaves you speechless. It really does. It just seems so monstrous, especially when you see all the images coming out and you see actual videos coming out of people quite desperate for basic things like water. Yeah. And and we're hearing this, of course, from the people who claim to be leading the civilized world. Um, yeah. yeah. Then, let, wonder- me, then, let me say that yesterday, the, the, the general secretary of the United Nations, who, who is usually not uh, an anti-American, to put it, to put it very mildly, yeah, uh, the, the publicly in the in the Security Council stated that this kind of policy is against international law and against human, humanitarian law, and that there had to be much much more, much longer breaks to the bombing, much much more aid being shipped to these uh, poor people in, in 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 southern Gaza, and the German press reports this just sort of on page three at the bottom. Yeah, if if the general secretary of the United Nations says this uh, in 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 the meeting of the Security Council, yeah, at least you're speechless. Wow, you know the other thing that you kind of already touched on, but I'm curious your thoughts a bit more on is um, you know. Given like the, 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 I think that one thing that's quite scary, of course, what's happening in Gaza is horrible, but you have this kind of like potential escalation in the Middle yeah. East that t- could take place. Um, and, you know, it's it, it's just so, the, the, to see the Europeans and Americans just so thoroughly and unconditionally support shocking aggression that goes against all these international humanitarian norms that they claim to support and complain about in Ukraine is one thing. Right. It's like one horrific uh, part of this. But then another horrific part of it is something you were touching on, which is not only uh, supporting cutting off electricity and water and food to this place, but also opposing a ceasefire, not just opposing, preventing a ceasefire. And one thing that the head of the U.N. did call for yesterday for the first time was a ceasefire. Um, And, you know, we've seen this happen both in Ukraine and you mentioned that and in Gaza now. Once again, we see the U.S. playing this active role in preventing diplomacy, preventing a ceasefire, just like we saw in Ukraine. Whereas in both of these cases as well, you see China on the other side, a little too quietly, I would say. But they are calling for negotiations and for ceasefires. And I'm just curious, you know, what does this say now that we've got these two big, awful, violent wars uh, where this kind of like China calling for ceasefire, U.S. opposing, what does that say about the role of the U.S. in the world versus yeah, China at this I, point? I would say I would say that in the in the Middle East, as far as I can see, uh, the position of the United States is more reasonable than the position of Germany, and and that has something to do with the fact that they know that if this. Uh, uh, spreads uh, to uh, the, the Middle East as a whole, then they will be in an utmost, in an utmost problem. Uh, although, of course, with the United States, you always have this 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 problem of of opportunism, which has to do with the fact that nobody can uh, really get to them. Uh, they they live on a continent 
a country uh, the size of a continent is surrounded by by two oceans with uh, two coasts and and then only two neighbors uh, or one and a half neighbors because the Canada is half a, is half a state of the United States mm-hmm. and 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 Mexico is almost invaded by the American army uh, in in the so-called war on, war on drugs then and and if they go elsewhere and they lose a war uh, like like in Iraq, it doesn't matter. Can mm-hmm. can you imagine the Iraqi army marching into Washington D.C. <laughs> and, and asking uh, asking that George Bush, George W. Bush, will be turned over to the International Criminal Court in in, in Den Haag? That is totally inconceivable. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the price they pay for foreign policy blunders is very very low compared to uh, the price any other country would, would pay, except in the Middle East, where they know uh, that uh, uh, Israel uh, has nuclear arms and that in the, in the uh, uh, Israeli uh, military doctrine, uh, the, these are um, uh, envisaged uh, for, to, to be used the moment that the existence of Israel is uh, at uh, stake. In other words, you don't have to, 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 to bomb them first with nuclear arms and then they, then they hit back. It is part of the doctrine that it is part of, of, of their struggle for existence uh, in, in the Middle East. And that makes the Americans extremely, I think, extremely nervous at this point. Not so our German uh, uh, ministers, they, they don't care. I think because they have long forgotten to think about uh, uh, the strategic realities of, of this world. They are on, on the right side and they are fighting for justice and costed what, is, what it may and whatever justice is in their, in their view. Yeah, it also does seem as though, and this is again like, well, this is me just trying to psychoanalyze probably a little too much, but I have heard the argument made and it does sound pretty fair or, or, or reasonable that Germany's way of like dealing with its guilt for the Holocaust is just like unconditional support for the most aggressive Israeli maneuvers yeah, imaginable. That's what they say. It is, it is, uh, the, the formula in, in, in Germany is the right of Israel. We stand for the right of Israel to, to exist. Uh, how that right is being exercised, uh, and what exactly it, it, it implies. Uh, does it imply occupation of the West Bank? Uh, did, does it imply uh, uh, driving out uh, the, the people on the West Bank uh, and taking their land away to build uh, settlements? Is that the right to exist? Or the right to exist with, within a two-state solution? Nobody in this country discusses this. Wow. The, 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 what the right to exist is, is entirely left uh, to the Israeli uh, government, although that government mm-hmm. has, since the Oslo Agreement, sort of become ever more radical in its uh, claims for mm-hmm. uh, land and supremacy in the area where they live. Then, let, let me say that, I, I mean, I'm watching the German and European European seat. For 16 years, 16 years ago, uh, the Israelis locked up Gaza. Yeah. Now, now our 
the foreign ministers, defense ministers, everybody else sort of traveled to Israel. And the, over these 16 years, at least once a year, uh, what was in their briefing? From, from their, the, the, it is un, un, inconceivable that, that, that the um, foreign office would not have told them, stay away from the wall around Gaza, because that thing cannot, should not be touched. It is absolutely abominable. And, and it will sort of blow up at some point and, and don't get involved. And, and apparently, they knew, having sort of being some sort of common sense, that this could not continue forever. Mm-hmm. But they never, never opened their mouth to say that. Yeah. The same thing with the, with the Americans and the settlements. The, everybody knows that if you build one settlement after the other, and Netanyahu tells you the last settlements, and then next year we will we'll, 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 we'll see. If you if you continue this forever, there will become a moment when people get get so desperate that that they that they take to the absolutely uh, most. Uh, uh, abominable uh, uh, means to to, to to make sure that they uh, are seen as uh, uh, people who have a complaint. Yesterday, the the the, the general secretary of the of the uh, United Nations, in his speech, said that uh, the events of seventh October uh, have a prehistory, and they must be seen in the context of that prehistory. And did you see how the Israeli ambassador? Sort of exploded at the idea that there was a prehistory to this. Yeah, he and called. It, he called for the guy to resign. He yeah. called for the head of the UN to resign yeah. because because he simply said, "What well, what applies for everything in the world? It has a prehistory. Doesn't nothing falls falls from the sky?" Yeah. <laughs> It really is incredible, and you know, I guess that you've you've basically explained why Europe is just like going full head, even more extreme than the U.S. in this case on this issue, even though, you know, it's like, I can't understand. Don't you understand that this could escalate into a regional war? We've seen that every war in the Middle East ricochets onto Europe in a pretty awful way. I mean, obviously, the people of the Middle East are the first and foremost to be the victims of any violence that happens here. But then, you know, Europe is not far away. The refugee issue that that took place following Syria, Libya, Iraq, and then of course, like whatever spilled over into Western Sahara, it literally changed the politics of Europe um, and caused all kinds of problems, especially like with the rise of ISIS and you had attacks across Europe. And it would just, it would seem to me that European intelligence agencies would understand the risk of further conflict in this region. But you know, something I wanted to ask you about that I think is an interesting dynamic to to analyze here is for the last few years, we've seen a massive shift away from the so-called war on terror toward one of this great power competition with it's the U S and the West versus China and Russia, which, you know, you've written quite extensively about, and, you know, every Pentagon white paper says as much. And as a result, you know, NATO has been given, you know, a new life force, but it seems almost overnight following the Hamas operation on October 7th, We've returned to that war on terror rhetoric and all this sort of military equipment being moved back to the Middle East. You know, isn't the West going against its own Cold War interests by reinserting itself into 
and escalating conflict in the Middle East? Like, doesn't that take away their or distract from the bigger war, the apparently supposedly bigger war that's supposed to be dominating versus Russia and China? You should you should talk to Mr. Biden (laughs) about this and and Mr. Blinken. And and I would think actually that that these people uh, are not uh, up to uh, the problem. Uh, the, the way they are used to make uh, to making policy is from now to tomorrow, and and uh, responding to emotions of 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 the day, uh, thinking about it in in longer terms. Uh, for the Americans, as I said at the beginning, it is not really necessary in the sense that they really uh, are the last to be to 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 be affected. Be because of their glorious uh, uh, retreat to to their wonderful continent, yeah. but and then the the uh, the Europeans, with a slight exception of the French, have learned in the post-war years that when it comes to the hardware of national security, then the leader is the United States, and they, and you better follow what they are doing. And indeed, what they are doing now is they are watching very carefully what the United States say, because because uh, uh, I don't believe that uh, uh, that they speak openly to their allies. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They, 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 sometimes it would be against their interests. Uh, now, now with this uh, the, the, the possibility that Trump returns to. To, to power in the next uh, in, in the next election, I think they are extremely concerned about uh, domestic uh, the domestic support and and how they sort of weasel through uh, these tensions between the, the Republicans who who want to focus on China and and a significant section of the of the Democrats who who are uh, sort of attached to yeah. Um, um, to what? To to fighting authoritarianism in the world wherever it exists, and identifying the role of the United States in the world as bringing democracy to even the tiniest places. Yeah. Oh, we've seen so much democracy be brought to the Middle East, haven't we? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I want to. I want to shift uh, a bit more to Ukraine. Uh, last time I had you on, like I mentioned, the war was just two months old. Today it is two and a half years old. After all the tens of billions of dollars and weapons and aid from the West, Wolfgang, is Ukraine losing this war? Is it winning this war? What's happening here? Uh, that depends. Then in the um, before the war started. Uh, the Ukrainian policy in relation to Russia was not much different in effect from what is now the fact in uh, in Ukraine. That is uh, uh, postponement of the uh, of the Crimean uh, issue uh, to some uh, uh, distant year. Like in ten years, we will have a, a, a vote. Mm-hmm. Then some sort of strong federalism or uh, autonomy of the eastern uh, uh, sections of of of, of Ukraine, uh, which would 
they also come with language rights and and uh, uh, like in 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 South Tyrols or or what the Italians call uh, uh, Alto Alto Adige, where you have a German population which has sort of special uh, autonomy rights, and it's all wonderful there. Yeah. Uh, so, so this was what uh, this was the platform on which Zelensky was elected uh, with uh, with about seventy five percent of the vote. Yes, mm-hmm. and and then in subsequent years, the uh, uh, the 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 goals, the war goals of the uh, Ukrainian government shifted. In a very radical direction, uh, with the help, one can say, uh, of Western allies who sort of contributed to shifting this power balance of balance of power in the Ukrainian nationalist movement from a negotiated peace outside of NATO to uh, uh, entering NATO as. Uh, Ukraine, including Crimea, and the Russians back in Russia, so to speak. Yeah, and and uh, this is this has had a lot to do with uh, the impact of uh, the United States and the United Kingdom. Uh, now it is quite clear that, for example, still uh, after the war had been, uh, I think, one month old, the, there were negotiations going on in in, in Istanbul. Uh, chaired by a former Israeli prime minister, uh, who uh, who afterwards, or a few months ago, said that he had both parties sort of very close to each other to signing an agreement uh, approximately along the lines of what now the the, the situation is, and then according to this uh, to this man who was chairing <laughs> chairing the negotiation, then Boris Johnson showed up and told the Ukrainians that it would be stupid to, to sign because they would get all the weaponry they would need for their sort of very much uh, more ambitious uh, nationalist goals. Plus, uh, even plus, the uh, American sanctions imposed on Russia would, within a matter of two or three months, be so painful that Russia would no longer have the economic capacity to conduct that war. Mm-hmm. That was also what we heard at the time. Uh, what, what was what, what as a as a European public what, we, we continued hearing, and then suddenly it turned out that the that the uh, um, uh, sanctions hit us rather than the United uh, rather than, than 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 Russia, and Russia has a sort of moderate. Economic growth of two between two and three percent, whereas Germany has economic uh, negative growth, and and you you see so so uh, if if you ask uh, uh, why uh, why the uh, the this identification with uh, uh, with the, then then these goals have to be seen as a variable, not 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 as a constant, and and the West contributed to making them more. Uh, ambitious than they actually were at the beginning. Yeah. My, in my view, uh, what, what was essentially at stake was the question whether whether a uh, uh, Ukraine 
sovereign Ukraine would be a member of NATO or not. And, 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 and for the Russians, it was clear it could not be a member of NATO. Uh, and, and they were willing to go to war uh, to prevent this. They they also miscalculated because because I think I they, they, there was in 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 Germany we, of course we had a Soviet uh, dependence in East Germany and they had an army and they had an army um, elite uh, how, how do you say college where where their commanders were trained and there was one of them who was still alive who up to the day of the of the Russian. Uh, of the Russian uh, uh, attack, uh, publicly let everybody know that they would never attack because under their military doctrine, which he had learned in, in at military college, they would have had to have three or four more uh, troops uh, amassed before they would attack, from, from which you would conclude that they made an awful mistake by thinking they could just grab uh, uh, Kiev and, 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 then, and then impose a, a solution on it. So it's messy, completely messy. Yeah, but, but, no. but, but the, the, the European political elite, the West European political elites, is a total failure in, 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 in this context. Absolutely, they, they never had a voice of their own. Yeah, <laughs> to say the least. I mean, one thing that you wrote, uh, you you have this piece, a new left review called uh, "Bipolar Order," and one of the things that one of the points you make is that the EU has been turned into this auxiliary of auxiliary, excuse me, of NATO. Yeah. Um, that's like in, basically in charge of economic warfare. Uh, I'm just quoting you. While NATO became more than ever an instrument of American policy flagged as Western. Can you yeah. explain how this completes the kind of EU subordination to NATO that the U.S. seems to have? Want it to happen? Yeah, well, you you you'll see it in the in the fall when there will be a successor to the now general secretary of of NATO, and and the it is very likely that it will be Frau von der Leyen. Oh, <laughs> this woman! <laughs> yeah. and and uh, the, the, the that is a very good move from the perspective of. Uh, uh, the, the, the turning uh, the, the European Union into an instrument uh, of, of NATO uh, uh, strategy. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear the rest, you can access it by becoming a Breakthrough News member at patreon.com slash breakthrough news.